Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. How are you today? Do you wish, do you feel a little more alone these days when you can't meet with people? I'd like to share a song with you. It's a very old song which I learned as a child. You know, last Sunday, our staff, Magdalene, preached about children. It's so important what we teach our children. Most of the things I learned in theology from the Bible and especially songs I learned as a child. And these are the songs that I love the most. This song I'd like to sing to you is called Did You Ever Talk to God Above? It's a very intimate song about how God listens to us in every situation and every place. It's given me much comfort this song has also brought me to tears many times as I realize how close God is to us. Did you ever talk to God above? Tell Him that you need a friend to love. Pray in Jesus' name, believing that God answers prayer. Have you told him all your cares and woes? Every tiny little fear, he knows. You can know he'll always hear, and he will answer prayer. You can whisper in the crowd to him. You can cry when you're alone to him. You don't have to pray out loud. To him he knows your thoughts On a lofty mountain peak He's there in the meadow by a stream He's there and here on earth you go He's been there from the start Find the answer in his word, it's true You'll be strong because he walks with you by his faithfulness you change you to God answers prayer If you want to check out this song you can look it up from on YouTube under Did You Ever Talk to Do You Ever Talk to God Above? Well today I want to talk about let's read and discuss Acts chapter six. We continue with the theme of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit being a change, a transformation from within of our lives. And today then, I want to talk about two more issues. Manifestation of the Spirit in priorities and in serenity. Let's read Acts chapter 6 and let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. And as you place your mirror before us, allowing us to see what the truth is and what our lives are like, <clears throat> cause us once again to long to have your Spirit transform us. That God will want so much for you to change our lives because it makes so much difference to us and to you. That God we will come before you and open our hearts, our minds, our lives to you. That indeed you will change us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 6 Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, 
Complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom of the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never speaks, ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this palace and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whoever thought that there are no problems in the church, whoever thought that a church should always be at peace and prospering and doing fantastically, is probably very wrong. Even from the beginning, just shortly after the great revival had taken place, where the Spirit was poured out, where thousands and thousands came to the Lord, we begin to see problems. First, there was the problem of deception by Ananias and Sapphira. But here was a bigger problem, was just, wasn't just about a couple. It was a systemic problem of, perhaps you could call it racism, racial discrimination, racial prejudice. What was happening was that these were all Jews. Right now, at this point, there were no Gentiles among them, all Jews, but they were Jews of different culture. There were the Jews of the Hebrew culture, those are the purebred ones who grew up in Israel. But there were also the Hellenist Jews who were one would consider as adulterated group or mixed group. They were Jews who grew up in the Greek culture. They spoke Greek. They probably had um, a mix of very Greek and non-Hebrew culture. And so the Christians there, the early Christians, somehow would have treated these Hellenist Jews or Hellenist Jewish converts into Christianity as second class. Even in the distribution of help, of resources, the Hellenistic widows were neglected in the daily distribution. We don't know what went wrong. Perhaps it was just a natural thing where the ones in charge despised or contemptuous of the Hellenist Jews, 
whom they would consider half-breeds even, because they were not pure in their beliefs. Perhaps there was infighting and the majority being Hebrews discriminated against the Hellenists. But whatever the reason was, the problem was big enough for the disciples to nip the problem in the bud. And so right away they said, yes, we should do it. But then again, we don't have the time. We cannot divide our attention between serving people and preaching the word. So what they did was they called out all the disciples now, we don't know how many that was, but it was more than the 120 that was gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Because in verse 1, it says, In those days, the disciples were increasing in number. So there were more and more disciples. Maybe it included all the 3,000 and then the 5,000. Altogether, there could be 8,000, 10,000. We don't know. But it says that they called together the full number, in verse 2, the full number of the disciples. Certainly more than the 12, could be the 120 or more than that, but they were democratic about it. And they said, well, this is about you all. Go ahead and choose seven people of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and let them do it for us. In the meantime, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so they picked these seven people, they placed them, they, the apostles prayed and laid hands on them and prayed for them. What lessons can we learn from this? The first is that racism was a problem and was considered a serious problem. The disciples, the apostles did not delay, they did not dismiss it and say, oh well, these problems, never mind. But they acted very swiftly to nip it in the, in the bud. We need to know that discrimination in the church, whether based on race, based on education level, based on, based on wealth, none of these are acceptable in the church. Discrimination should never exist in the church because all people, whatever their race, whatever their socioeconomic class, all are equal in the sight of God. And the disciples made sure that that was happening. Secondly, the outreach to the poor. These were widows and the outreach to the poor is a very necessary thing. In fact, outreach to the poor is the lifeblood of the church. We see in the beginning that as the word was preached, people came to the Lord and then the disciples distributed, shared their wealth, gave, bought, sold their properties and gave it to the poor. Distribution of to the poor and assistance to the poor, outreach to the poor, is very important to the church. Third, administration in the church is very important too. Sometimes we downplay administration. Sometimes in even some churches, we elevate the pastors, we elevate the ministry workers, and then at the bottom of the rung are administrators. But administration is as important as ministry. Administration is very important. In this case, it showed that the problem was with an unequal or a poor administration of the resources of the church. And they chose seven good, wise, spirit-filled men. They were not just people whom they picked up off the, street, off the crowd, not people who were just good in administration, 
but they chose people, men, who were full of the spirit, of good repute, and of wisdom. They were wise, spirit-filled, and had a good reputation. And not only that, when they appointed these seven administrators, the apostles prayed and laid hands on them, so this was a sacred duty as well. We need to remember that church administration is important, and the people we select must be done prayerfully. The people must be people full of the Spirit. In fact, Stephen was one of them, and he was so filled with the Spirit that he, he could engage himself in debating with others, but he was also so full of miracles that he went around healing and doing great signs and wonders. The administrators were no less than the ministry workers. They just simply had a different role. But the disciples, the apostles, also had their priorities. They knew that all these things were important. They knew that um, justice was important, fairness was important. They knew that administration was important. They knew that caring for the poor was important. But they couldn't be divided into many parts. Their role was to preach the word and to pray. And if they were to look at, look at all the needs and try to solve all the needs, they would be good at nothing. And so they decided, we shall have priorities. We are not supermen. We have our roles, and so have the others. Our role is to continue to preach the word of God. This is one of the areas where churches often fail, and pastors are very much to blame. Often churches see pastors as the CEO, the one who is in charge of everything, in the sense that the Paukaliao people, the ones who have to take care of every little bit. But how often, so often, I've seen pastors so inundated with the daily needs of the church, from counselling to finance to property to church renovations to a lot of things. And after a while, they have no time to pray and no time to preach. Everything suffers. We can't have it both ways. We can't have a pastor who preaches very well, and a pastor who does every administration very well, a pastor who leads an outreach. Either they're good in one and poor at the other, or they're good at nothing. We need to find priorities. And so to me, the church priority is this, that there are administrators who are spirit-filled, the treasure, the one who deal with finance, with property, with risk management, with governance, the ones who do outreach and evangelism and care for the poor, and the various ministries. All these are important and we need to carefully and prayerfully look for godly people. They will do that work because that's their role. But the pastors and the preachers and the teachers, it's not just the pastor, but there are church teachers um, who are gifted in preaching, in teaching. These should be allowed as much time as possible to preach the word of God and to be in prayer. To pray is not just to intercede, the prayer is to listen to God, that the people of God may be blessed. And so we look for a church where the leaders, where the servants are equal. One preaches, Another prays, another teaches, another does finance, another one does property, another one works with youth and works with administration. Each of us has our role and we need to prioritise. 
But we could generalize this principle as well, go beyond church. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to prioritize our lives. One of the biggest sources of our stress and anxiety is that to us, everything seems important. And so we are inundated with problem after problem because everything seems to be top priority. We have to do A and we have to do B. We have to be good at our job. We have to care for our children. We have to watch for their tuition and their school results. And then we have to care for a million other things. And then we get terribly stressed out. But what we need is to be still and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us to prioritize. And then we set aside, these are the non-negotiables. What are some of the non-negotiables for us? One, of course, is that we keep growing and walking with the Lord. We cannot lose that one. We cannot be so busy until we have no time to read the Bible, no time to pray, no time to think about God at all. Because that will be indeed the death of us. How often I've seen senior executives break down completely. Christians come to church are faithful to the Lord but so filled with work and anxiety. There's no time left to allow God to minister to them. Neglecting God would be the death of us right away. Not just in the afterlife. Right away, it will hurt us badly. It may kill us. So spending time with God and growing close to God is a non-negotiable. What are this? Family time. It's not about children's education. It is about time to nurture your children. So often we forget that the nurturing, spending time with children is not about nurture, is not about caring for, not about giving, teaching our children and getting them good results. Spending time and nurturing our children is about spending time talking with them, enjoying life with them. Sometimes taking walks with them, others, other times sharing hobbies with them, being interested in their lives. That must be a priority. Not about getting them to pass this exam or that exam. If we were to spend all our time helping our children with their tests and their homework, we have no time left to nurture them, to talk with them, to enjoy life with them. Surely spending time with our children, spending time with our spouses. One of the worst things is when couples become just the mother and father. I mean, it's terrible when we call our wife a mother. She's not your mother, she's your wife. I heard one that was even worse. Jifan Paul, which is cook, um, the woman who cooks at home. That's extremely crude, and that was in Cantonese. But sometimes we see our spouses then in their roles, and that's all. We need time with our spouses. These are the non-negotiables. Well, earning money to survive, perhaps, might be important. Often, it is only important because of our lifestyles. If we were to scale down, bite the bullet, and say these are good but they are negotiable, if the non-negotiables take up bulk of the time, then we have to think of alternatives for the negotiables. It's not that the negotiables are not important, they may be very, very much important as well but we can find arrangements for them. 
I'll leave you to think of what your non-negotiables are, what are very, very important, but you can find other solutions for them. As we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in these matters, may we then find greater peace as we find alternatives. The apostles did not neglect the fair distribution of wealth among the widows. They they rushed out and did a quick job to settle the issue, which shows that that was a very important issue. It wasn't something they could neglect, but it was not a non-negotiable. They could find an alternative for this problem, to solve this problem. Likewise, as we think of our priorities then, we need to allow God to guide us as to what we can let go and what we must take for ourselves because we are important in that role. The work of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit then is to allow us, guide us in the choosing of our priorities. And the church and the home and the person who know their roles, respective priorities, will be one that will flourish. We move now to one of the deacons, one of those who were chosen to serve at tables to look into the fair distribution of resources, Stephen. Stephen wasn't just a good administrator. He was a man so filled with the spirit and of wisdom. And he entered a debate with some of the Jews from the other areas. I don't know what they fought about, what was so serious about fighting, but it looks like these other people were sore losers because it simply said that they could not overcome Stephen's arguments. Stephen was a man so filled with the spirit, he argued truth. And these other religious people lost the fight. Could it be pride that, that really caused them to want to kill, want to destroy Stephen? We don't know. But what they did was really unpardonable. They told lies. They bore false witness against Stephen. I mean, you can argue, you can even punch someone in the face, but then to give false testimony, to lie about someone maliciously, causing that person to be killed, this was really beyond the pale. But this was exactly what they did. They leveled false accusations against Stephen. I don't know how I would have reacted if people were to lie thus about me. Simply because you lost a debate, simply because you don't agree with me, doesn't mean that you can go all the way and lie about me in such a malicious way that even my authorities would come after me and want to take my life. How could Stephen ever take liars like this? And yet what the Bible says is that as they leveled all these accusations against Stephen, they looked at his face and shone like an angel. We see a serenity, a confidence, and even a power in him. This was a man who would soon be stoned to death. But in his face, you couldn't see the anger, the fear, the, the emotions. The only emotion you could see was that of serenity, that of an angel. That is certainly the work of the Holy Spirit. 
how often I get riled out so easily. Anyone who provokes me and anyone who lies against me, I would, I would lose my cool for sure. I would lose my cool far more easily at any insult. And yet, I hope, I pray, my prayer is that for me and for all of us, we may begin to have such a presence of God, such a confidence in the sovereignty of God, that even in the face of blatant lies and false accusations, we may be able to shine like an angel. A sense of serenity that comes only when the Spirit works in us. We see here then two very, very necessary manifestations of the Holy Spirit once again. That of helping us to sort out our lives and prioritize our lives. And that of giving us a sense of serenity, of peace, of confidence in God. That regardless of what people say about us, how people lie about us, the accusations that are leveled against us, the only reaction we have instead of faith in a good and faithful and powerful God. And we can then have our faces shine like angels. That's my prayer for myself and that's my prayer for each of you. That this may be also the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in us. Let us pray. Father, as we learn more of your Spirit, we realize how important, how powerful your Spirit is. But more than being powerful, we begin to see, I begin to see how essential your Holy Spirit is. It is your Holy Spirit that causes us to be bold and to be generous. Your Holy Spirit that teaches us what it means to have integrity and humility what it means to know our priorities and sort out our priorities and to have serenity. Father, we really need your Spirit. Without your Spirit, Lord, what are we but broken vessels? We pray, Lord, that as we submit ourselves to you, that you will do your work in our lives and truly transform us that each of us may be the manifestation of your Holy Spirit to the world, that the world that sees us may marvel at what you can do in a life that is broken and rotten and sinful, but a life that has seen what it means to be alive, made alive by you. Do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, once again, I hope to be with you again tomorrow. Have a blessed day and goodbye.